Hello and welcome to Tailoring It Podcast. It's time to chat about compliance again. Joining me today in this podcast is the lovely Laura Leighton James. Hi Laura, how are you? Hi Craig, lovely to be here. Thank you. Yeah, good to have you on here as well. I think we've spoken quite a few times in the past and we've met face to face a number of times, but this is our first podcast again. So thank you very much for agreeing. You're welcome. So, Laura, uh, let's cut to the chase quite quickly with this, I think. Um, a couple of weeks ago, in fact, it was the 21st of September, because I'm looking at your blog page now, you posted um, a blog on there entitled, You Can't Create Engaging Compliance E-Learning. And I uh, opened it up, as I always do, when there's somebody, you know, somebody pays in my Google Reader. I, had a, I must admit, I had a quick skim about halfway down it, and I, I'm stressing that for a reason. And I had a quick skim through maybe the first three, four, five paragraphs and thought, I've got to talk to Laura about this. And do you know what? I'm going to ask her if she'll do a podcast. It was only after you'd agreed to do the podcast and we was all set up, I went on and read beyond the halfway point and realised that my name crops up halfway down. So to anybody who's listening thinking, he's only plugging this podcast because <laughs> his name appears in the blog post, I swear, I promise you, I didn't realise that I was actually referenced in it until we'd agreed to do the podcast. So, uh, oh, I believe you. Honestly, but I, I'm just having to move my head out the way because my nose is just tapping the, the laptop screen as it's growing. <laughs> so, Laura, you start off in this blog post and you say you had an interesting debate recently on one of your courses about designing engaging e-learning. I'm assuming it was a face-to-face event that you were running. It was, yes. So, give us a little bit more background then. What was, what was the conversation about? How did it crop up and in what direction did it sort of go? Well, um, it was, um, I was running one of my uh, e-learning design courses that I, that I deliver for um, the company I work for, training company I work for, um, and it's all about designing, engaging e-learning. Uh, and we were having a conversation about um, what engages you in general uh, in, in learning. Uh, I always relate things back to classroom learning, um, but what engages you there and how we can actually make sure that uh, our e-learning um, is just as engaging as we are in the classroom. Yep. Um, so we, we had the conversation about you know um, the sort of things, the interaction that you have, making it challenging, making sure it's relevant to people, um, all, all of those sort of things, which we know instinctively, really, as, as learning designers, what, what makes it, what engages us in a topic. Um, and um, we were we were talking away about how we can include stories and scenarios, and, and more often, more um, particularly about it, um, uh, about concentrating on on the task rather than the information so concentrating on um, uh, allowing people to, to or teaching people how to do their jobs rather than how to recite copious yeah. amounts of information basically that's what it was about so very much focus on performance rather than knowledge uh, exactly sort of taking yeah. Kathy Moore's action mapping approach to, to designing the learning Certainly, certainly. Yeah. And, and I know that there are, um, depending on what the goal that you're after with your, with your e-learning, there, there are very, um, there are very valid um, reasons why you, you want to actually um, teach knowledge and check the knowledge. Uh, but if you're trying to change a behavior or trying to get people to do their jobs properly, then you've also got to sort of simulate a task almost. So it's all, it was all discussing that, um, around how we do that. And, and it's not just on this 
um, this particular conversation, we've, we've, we've frequently had conversations about, I, I can't see how compliance can be made engaging because it's such a dull, <laughs> boring subject. Yeah, big time. And yet, and yet, I mean, on, on the surface of it, I think most people would probably nod and laugh and say, you're absolutely right. But if you just pause and take a moment and take a step back from that and look at compliance training, which actually affects or it should affect every single person who works for an organization take for example fire safety training exactly yeah. actually what a what a fantastic platform from which to build a piece of learning from because we're talking about we're talking about fire we're talking about heat we're talking about people burning we're talking about people getting hurt or dying how how that story how that that scenario can be considered to be boring or a turn-off is absolutely beyond me. And yet, to, to, to disprove my own thought then, I've seen it done. I've seen some really, really boring fire safety training delivered around a subject that, by God, it really lends itself to, uh, to, 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 to being very, very engaging. And absolutely, what's in it for me, to quote, to quote something you mentioned a few minutes ago. So you're right, compliance, safe, compliance training does have that perception. And yet, if you if you if you really think it through, boy, it can have a real, you know, it can be its perception of being boring can really be turned on its head. Yeah, and I and I think if um, if you think about uh, exploring the consequences rather than exploring the rules and regulations, oh yeah, uh, that's where it starts become engaging when you start exploring um, what would happen if those sort of things rather than you know what are the three elements in the fire triangle who on earth when it comes to a fire will stop and think oh now what are the three elements in a fire triangle now how am i going to work this out yeah. which of the three should i remove to, to stop this fire yeah exactly i mean you, I've, you, I've, yeah. I've even sat in a piece of e-learning where it talked about conduction convection and radiation being the way that fire spreads and it, it really stressed these points and it was actually in the assessment tick box one of course multiple choice at the end what it didn't cover at all was things like don't put your coat on the top of an electric heater mm, it yeah. didn't actually cover about how you can stop instances of conduction convection and radiation it actually just talked about the very very bureaucratic um, official terminology and, and fire safety uh, advisor language. It didn't really talk about what you and I, as, as as normal people in the real world, can do to stop those instances occurring. Yeah, and I think that's the key point, you know, because a, a lot of these, uh, a lot of the terminology that's being used in this are for people who who are in the business, so to speak. People that are, you know, your lay person, they don't know, they don't want to know what conductors are. <laughs> yeah, as far as I'm concerned, a conductor is who's on a bus. Yeah. I don't need to know that. I just need to know what the risks are and what would prove what would what would actually be a risk and and what would I need to do to avoid those risks and what the consequences are if that risk happens. So the point you've just made there, then let, let me let me springboard off that if I can. You've just said then that a lot of the language that's used is for people that are in that business. They are fire safety people or they are um, they are senior financial advisors or they are people who work in compliance or health and safety or very regulatory bodies. Why on earth then is there 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years worth of experience? Why is there language seeping into the layperson's e-learning? What, what's going Are we allowing them to design the e-learning? 
I mean, I think, well, in sometimes we do, yeah, because uh, um, I think what sometimes happens in organizations, especially with some vendors of e-learning um, tools, uh, are selling it so that you're uh, almost like the selling point is you can give this to your subject matter expert and they can produce e-learning. Um, what, what's actually missing is the learning design. It's knowing knowing what how we learn, knowing how adults learn, knowing how our brain takes in information, knowing how to ask questions, knowing how to put little chunks together, all that sort of stuff is, is lost because what you're doing is you're going straight to the horse's mouth, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, and I, I do it myself. I know, hands up, I'm guilty of it myself. When I am passionate about a subject like this, I start spurting copious amounts of information. And I have to try and get back, you know, and, and we are, we're, even us e-learning designers, I think, can be guilty of jargon. You know, we'll, oh, we'll yes. spout out gamification, we'll oh, spout out is. LMS, and we'll spout out VLEs. And, and I've, I've had people through on, on my courses here um, who are totally brand new to e-learning. Yeah. And we forget. We forget that they don't know what LMS stands for. In fact... Frequently, we've had people, we, we, we talk about SMEs. Yeah. And uh, those people that come from financial services, uh, when you talk about SMEs, all they can think of are small and medium small businesses. Small and medium enterprises, yeah. Enterprise. yeah, yeah. So we're, we're very, all very guilty about using jargon that, that we're, we're used to using. I used to work in the NHS, and it's full of jargon there. Um, yeah. and, and, and I hated it, but I used it myself. It's just really, really annoying. But I then can step back but I think um, going back to your point about um, you know who's designing the e-learning that I think that's one one element of it that sort of the learning designers are being bypassed um, the people who know how to put good learning together maybe um, it's a, 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 I don't know a not an inability, but um, the, the way the, the way the conversation goes with the subject matter expert. Sometimes it's the negotiation between the learning designer and the subject matter expert because there's a battle, always a constant battle going on. I think. Ah, well, it's, it's interesting you raise that because a few minutes ago you said I, I'll be honest and I'll admit, and I thought, oh, while we're on the confessional box, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to get out the confessional box as well, and I'll admit that about two to two and a half years ago, when I first started getting involved in e-learning or, or rapid e-learning development, um, I was given a, a very, very powerful tool, a very expensive tool, and all I did was transform, in fact, transform's the wrong word, all I did was redevelop almost exactly what we'd used to outsource and brought it in-house. And of course, a lot of what we outsource, in fact, everything we'd outsourced was exactly all the negative things that we're talking about here. And all I went and did was spend tens of thousands of pounds on software redeveloping it in-house. It's only as a result of the sort of conversations we're having now, your blog post and obviously all the sort of networking events that I see you at, that I've actually come to realise that what I developed two and a half years ago was just adding insult to injury in the learning world. So what I went back and did was I started developing workshops within my organization to show those SMEs who were also trained on the tool what, what where we'd, it was difficult because I'd helped them go wrong. So I had to eat a huge piece of humble pie and explain mm -hmm. to them that I was going to go back and I was going to redevelop the one piece of e-learning that I'd taken sole responsibility for, which was display screen equipment awareness. And I was going to redevelop it. 
and I allowed them to shadow me through that process. I, I storyboarded it with them. I action mapped it with them. They, a couple of them came and watched the, the discussion I had with the SME. Um, and, and, you know, they basically shadowed me through what good practice should look like. But then you mentioned about the fact that sometimes the learning designer is being bypassed. In my occasion, I wasn't bypassed. I had actually instigated it and I had absolute, I thought I had absolute control over the process. Right at the end, when it came to sign off, the SME attempted to bully me into launching a product that had the types of questions and content in that we're shaking our heads at. They wanted a question and a reference in there, a multiple choice question as to what is the title of the company instruction that deals with display screen equipment awareness? What page on the intranet can, well, what serial page on the intranet can this document be found? All very knowledge based. Nothing about actually putting the content of the document into practice in the real world. So I went through a real battle with this SME um, to try and convince them that actually just knowledge, fact checking, box ticking questions were not going to help improve the individuals, the learners ability to sit safely and healthily at a station. So I, I don't think it's always the learning designers that are being bypassed. I think I think on occasions it's the learning designers being bullied into or not being robust enough to actually say what what good should look like. Yeah, I'm um, yes, and, I, and I'm I'm sure that goes. I think we, a, a little bit of everything goes on, um, uh, possibly. Um, uh, so I, I think with um, uh, we, we should need to hone our, our, our I suppose negotiation skills really, um, uh, hone our questioning skills. Uh, so that we can work with each other rather than against each other. Um, and from from my point of view, possibly, if I if 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 I came across that situation with a subject matter expert um, that wanted to ask a question about um, uh, I can't remember which one what you said, but the first question about what what's the organisation called? Oh, the organisational document. What's the reference the for the yeah. document? Yeah, exactly. What's the reference number for the document? Well, possibly my my response to that would be, um, uh, well, what what are you, what are we aiming what are we aiming for them to do? What are we aiming for the learners to actually do here? So rather than rather than actually tell them no, this this is why we don't want it. We get them to answer their own question really. Yeah. So what, so what problem is this back. the solution to? Yeah, exactly. So what why why do you feel it's needed, um, and what does it address? Um, and sometimes if we think, I know people talk about, oh, I hate learning objectives. Uh, but sometimes if we think about our, our, our learning objectives or if we just call them goals, yeah. um, if, we, if we make sure that we've got a particular performance-based goal and we're, we're designing to that performance-based goal, then we can very um, honestly say, well, that actually doesn't do anything to meet our performance-based goal. Um, but what we could do, that could come somewhere else. Okay. So it's about if, if, if you're teaching, I suppose, if you're teaching people where to find things, that's a totally different topic. That's a totally different course. Yeah. Um, and it could be a very valid question, but not necessarily for that performance goal. No. I think one of the benefits as well, I mean, we're talking about compliance training here. And I mean, I, I, you know, I'm not a compliance guru. I've worked in an organization that is very focused on compliance and does have compliance gurus in it. And whilst working alongside with them, they are able to 
almost always off the top of their head, but for the benefit of me, they're always within arm's reach of a very hefty compliance document, usually issued by the health and safety executive, that tells the organisation what their responsibility is in terms of training provision. So actually, now don't get me wrong, these aren't always worded as great learning objectives, learning outcomes or goals, but there, there is, if you can, and you're a good learning designer, if you can pick it apart, someone's actually done a lot of the hard work for you by, by already considering what the individual has to be able to do in the workplace. So really, your, your, your loose goals have already been set by the HSE. Admittedly, the wording of them is usually bloody awful, but they have done a lot of the work for you. So you just need to, you need to turn that into a, a what's in it for me, you know, what's in it for the learner's perspective, what's in it for the layman. And, uh, and you, you know, you're already off to a very focused start that I find. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, and I think uh, you're right with, with the, um, the different objectives or the topics, because I think sometimes the misunderstanding of, of what's actually written in these, in these documents is if, if the, the goal is so that everybody is able to understand how to um, evacuate in a fire safely, then people tend to focus on that word understand instead of focus on the word evacuate. Yeah. Um, so all we need to do is get rid of that word understand and we've got a totally different training, a totally different learning program on our hands. And actually, so, you, you're, unlike most things in the world, you're actually removing content, you're actually removing words and phrases, yeah. actually simplifying things and deleting words rather than adding them in which um you know which i'm pretty sure anybody that's involved in any sort of you know production of any products is, is always keen to to be very very lean and very focused the more we can get rid of the better really yeah yeah exactly and and uh, you know just thinking about how to to focus our our, our our learning goal um will will help us then focus on the task rather than the knowledge because if you think about it um in order to carry out that job or carry out that simulated job or, carry, or apply this to a simulated environment, in order to actually do that task, we have to understand the knowledge. So we're testing yes, the yes. understanding through the doing. It's implicit, isn't it, within the, within yeah. the performance of the action? Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's just a different way of thinking about that that performance goal. And and you know the, when you read when you um, you know read the Kathy Moore, um, Cami Bean, yeah. all of you know all of those uh, experts out there, and they're, they're emphasising um, think of the performance. That's really what we all should be doing is thinking of the performance. What would what is the end result? What do we want our staff to do? properly what do we want them to do to what level yeah and and that's your goal and that's really all you need to concentrate on yeah i um, i've just recently entered um uh, urenco has just recently entered which is my previous organization has entered a piece of e-learning the very e-learning that i'm talking about the display screen equipment one the one that was bloody awful two years ago the one that i've revamped to to reflect best practice that's been entered into this year's e-learning awards, and it, you know Urenka has been very fortunate that it's been shortlisted for an award. The the actual learning outcomes, aims, objectives that were in that uh, weren't listed as your traditional learning objectives or anything like that. There were no bullet points. There was no by the end of this module, there were about two fairly short paragraphs, probably no more than two or four sentences between them, um, and, and basically it said. That the, it's, it's very easy to sit incorrectly at a workstation and doing it results in can result in severe pain and injury. 
by completing this piece of e-learning module, you'll actually learn some very, very simple, quick hints and tips to prevent you from getting injured. And I just thought that that, that I mean, that, that's, that was perhaps even more uh, official than what the conversational tone is. I don't have the e-learning in front of me, but I took a very conversational approach. And for me, what, what, what I pointed out to the judges at the e-learning awards was I used I used a consequence. You can get injured and be quite painful if you, you know, if you don't do this. I used the words quick and simple tips to allow the learner right at the beginning of the module to not feel put off by them being given a lot of context and a lot of content to have to deal with. And the what's in it for me was you won't get injured if you do this. Yeah, yeah. And I think, we, uh, I mean, that, that's um, getting that buy-in right at the start. Um, of something like that because uh, your, your goals you can you know soften them um, but as long as they know the result at the end is that they'll be able to apply this to a working situation yeah um, but it is also important to get that bowl of the the the, the, um, the buy-in the, the consequence that you said there the 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 results of not doing it yeah. is yeah um, absolutely yeah and I think that I think the fact that, that although the learner sees the very um, a very dumbed down, I'm going to use the phrase, set of objectives. Of course, myself and the SME, we knew what the official objectives were. We knew right down to the nitty gritty what we wanted the learner to be able to do because we translated that from the, the gobbledygook that was in the HSE document. So we, we knew that there were eight, nine, ten different objectives or whatever. We didn't need the learner to know that. What we the learner to know was that do these few simple things and you'll be sitting at your workstation safely and healthily and you won't get injured yeah exactly and that's all they're interested in they're yeah, not interested in all the other those those other so-called objectives uh, from my point of view are probably more like learning steps yeah uh, or key points that you're going to cover in order yeah. to get to that end goal so yeah you do people don't want to read copious amounts of um we will cover this 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 and this oh, and this no. Because yeah, if anything, it's it going to because if they are going to cover a lot, it's going to put them off right from the word go, isn't it? Like you just yeah. said, yeah, just overwhelms people. It just um, you know they think, oh God, how much are we going to go through? I'm, I can't be bothered with this, or I'll never do it. One or the other. They'll it'll either switch them off because they can't be bothered, or they'll switch them off because they just feel so overwhelmed. So the title, going back to the title of your blog post, you can't create engaging compliance e-learning. Mm -hmm. Can you or can't you, Laura? You can. What do we have Definitely. to do then? If you've, if there's somebody listening to this, some learning designer out there listening to this, or perhaps just somebody in the L&D field who has gone through what you and I have both been honest to say that we've perhaps created in the past, I've certainly created it in the past. If they've gone through old school, click next type e-learning, what one thing, what one piece of advice would you give that learning designer to go away, to start thinking about, to make sure that they can create this engaging e-learning? Oh, one piece, just one piece of advice. Just one piece, that's <laughs> all you're getting, one piece of advice. It's, got to, be a, it's advice. got to be a golden nugget, hasn't it, with one piece? Okay, focus on the relevant task at hand. That's what I'd say then. Focus, focus on the task. Okay, my piece out there for anybody that's remotely interested in what I've got to say would be read, read, and read some more. Because that's where I picked up all of this wonderful information about action mapping and storyboarding and focus on performance through reading blog posts and tweets and websites. So read, read and read. That's my Oh, tip. yeah. Yeah. And certainly don't think you ever know everything because oh, no. you're always going to learn more. Yeah. Big time. Um, yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm in the middle of reading um, 
uh, an excellent book by Ruth Colvin Clark and Richard E. Mayer at the moment. Um, it's their third edition of the e-learning and science of instruction. I think. Um, you, did you recommend that to me a few yeah, weeks ago? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I, I just yeah. started just started reading it. I'm 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 doing a review actually of it, um, but it, they they've updated it, um, and I'd recommend anybody if they wanted to know where to start, get that book. Do you know what? I will put a link to the Amazon uh, link in there in the show notes then and direct people mm. towards that. That could be very useful. Mm, definitely. Laura, thank you ever so much for your time this evening. I really appreciate it. So it seems that the answer is you can create engaging compliance e-learning, but you've not got to fall into the trough that we've fallen into in the past and you've got to start yeah. thinking differently. Think, think creatively, think differently and be prepared to put the time in. Laura, thank you ever so much for your time. Much You're appreciated. Welcome. Lovely to speak to you, Craig. Thanks, Laura. Bye.